0: Hey, tonight on Wednesday nights, we're a church that gathers in the middle of the week. Uh, I I was looking online recently, and we're one of the few in all of Ventura County that gather on Sunday nights. I don't know if that's a good thing or we're doing it wrong. I have no idea. But it just means that's what we're doing, and we're excited about it, because what we've decided a long time ago is, first of all, Journey started on a Wednesday night in a backyard, so we're kind of keeping that tradition. Secondly, the week is tough living uh, living in this world and living in life, even with your family. Sometimes we have tough family weeks and it's tough to engage and to make it through. So we come on Wednesdays to kind of get right with God, get our heart right, get our mind right. And we open up the word of God and we teach completely different than we do on Sunday. We go verse by verse in the Bible and we open it up and say, Lord, speak to us in the way that you want to speak, telling that story in context, 100%. And then, when we do that, it forces us to sometimes talk about issues that we don't like to talk about in church. And uh, I think it's been really powerful for the church. I think it's a great time and uh, uh, an opportunity for us to engage. Uh, on, on, um, on Tuesdays in our staff meeting, we were talking about words that we live by. And one of the girls that was on staff saying, this, this year we need to engage differently, right? We need to have this engaging interaction, Right. And so if you guys don't know what engage means or you don't understand it, it's like if you've ever, I don't even know if they even make sticks anymore. Does anybody drive a stick shift in here anymore? I didn't say if you know how to, do you have a stick? Yeah, I don't even know if they make them, but they do. And those that know how to drive a stick correctly, they're not grinding their gears. They're engaging it properly. They're using the clutch and they're shifting correctly. Those that don't know how to drive, like when I first learned how to drive, I was grinding gears constantly, and it was embarrassing. And if you did it incorrectly, you would ultimately stall the car, and uh, hopefully you weren't on a hill, right? Oh, so tonight we're trying to engage our lives with God differently, and we do that through uh, through uh, our Savior named Jesus Christ. But Jesus isn't here. He's at the right hand of God, so we look to the Holy Spirit to engage Christ and engage the Father's heart through that process. And that's what we're doing on Wednesday nights. And there's no better place to do it, I believe, than the book of John. We've been going through the book of John for several months now. And it looks at the trajectory we're in. We're going to be in it for several more months, at least past Easter, which is late April this year. Wednesday nights is like a small group. It's a larger group with 60 to 80, 100 people on nights. And then you get into small groups. And what there should be is some interaction, some thoughts, some, some things that you feel God's saying about the text and ultimately we should close with some deeper relationship. So hopefully that's what you get out of it and hopefully it becomes a place that you grow as a disciple and a disciple would be that you have a deeper relationship with God and the knowledge of who he is. Have you ever had this conversation in your life where you're sitting there and you're like talking to someone and you're like in this deep thought and you're explaining something that's really important, right? You're having this conversation and you're like totally invested in it. Your, your, your brows kind of got that funny look. You ever seen Jeremy when he's got that funny look on his brow like that? <laughs> and he's telling you something and, 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 and You're in this conversation and you're having this wonderful conversation, you think, and then that person or people that you're talking to ask the very question that you've been answering for the last five minutes. You ever been in that conversation before? It's kind of awkward, right? You're sitting there and you're talking about something and someone in the group or the person you're talking to is like, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I was just telling you that a second ago. Weren't you listening? Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I wasn't paying attention. So they asked the very question. Well, tonight we're going to see that that's exactly what happens to Jesus Christ. And I feel like, uh, I feel like we do this as Christian, as in Christianity a lot. I feel like we hear the word of God. I feel like we receive something from God and instantly we doubt it as, as quick as we receive it. It's like putting that cracker in the juice and communion and you take it in and instantly you're connected with God and as quick as you're connected, quicker you forgot about him for the rest of the week or the next communion. And I feel that we see that a lot because the disciples are just human beings like you and I. And we need to learn to engage on a minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, year by year lifestyle. And it's not always easy. It seems to be easy, but it's not easy. In John chapter 14, we've been going through, and last week Jeff Barnett did, gave the message, and I'm just going to read a little bit of from what he read last week, because here's what it says. It says, "Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If it were not so, would I have told you what I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am and you will know where I am and you will know the way to where I am. The last time I read this was Sunday after church as a friend called from church, just left with their husband and said, hey, someone's in the hospital and they're not going to make it. And so I went to, I was actually getting in the car to go have lunch after church and my head, and I'll just be honest with you, my head was like, should I go now or should I go after lunch? That's just the selfish person I am because, you know, it's it gonna happen like today or sometimes just didn't know. So fortunately, God graced me by getting out of self and I went instantly and I read these. I don't know why I read it, but that was a scripture that I read to this woman. And I think tonight's message is to really challenge you about knowing God. Because when I read this verse, this lady was minutes away from dying. And really, we don't really think about it here tonight as we're in church, as we're eating dinner and we're having a good time. Maybe you're with your boyfriend or husband or wife or maybe you're solo or by yourself. You're not really thinking about death and your relationship with God. But trust me, everybody in that room that night or that afternoon, they were wondering, A, is she going to heaven? And A, or B, am I going? Do I know God? And do I know him in a real and powerful way? That was scary. It was scary to think about. And I think that's what Jesus is communicating. And here we see doubting Thomas in verse 5 as he's communicating. No, we don't know, Lord. We don't know where you are. We don't know what you're saying. We don't know what you're doing. Don't we feel like that on a regular basis? I don't really see what you're doing in my family, God. I've been following you for a few years now. I'm, in, I, I'm living my life. I go to church. I put a few bucks on the offering. I serve occasionally, but I really don't see you. I don't know where you're at. I don't see you. We have no idea where you're going and how you can do it and how do we know the way. The realness of going, knowing God should give you some certainty that you're on the right track. If you're not certain then there's something lacking or missing in your walk. And it's, it's, it's something that I guess I could give you or Kim or Liz or, or Jeremy or Jeff Barnett or Dustin or someone that's been in Christianity, but really it's got to be with something inside of you that has a hunger and a thirst. Did anybody eat dinner here tonight? That was good. The chili was good. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we're clapping tomorrow, but we're excited about it tonight. But the point is this. As much as you came in and like, oh, chili and cornbread on a, on a cold night is, is really good. and It's heart health. Uh, was it heart healthy? My wife's saying, no, it's really not. That's... Since I ate it, I'm going to say it's heart healthy. But the same thing that you did when you came in tonight, maybe with a little bit of hunger, you need to have that same hunger for God if you really want to know him and have him engage your life. So the question is, are you driving a stick shift today and you're not getting in the first gear? Or if you've ever drove a stick shift and you tried to go from first to fifth, that doesn't work either. You have to go the proper steps, one, two, three, four, five, to really get the engine up at the right level. So that's what we're talking about today. And Jesus, last week, Jeff Barnett came up here and gave a message and he said, he really titled it, Jesus is our guide. Have you ever been on like somebody who's your tour guide? Right, and you're wondering, is this person credible? Right, this summer we went to a, a, a place and did a river rafting trip, and uh, stayed in a place that I think uh, there was a couple of murders there the night before. It seemed like, but it wasn't very very safe. It seemed like, but we got to this river rafting trip, and we and, and our tour guide is this girl, and the whole time. We're looking and listening to her, and, and I'm thinking, is she going to be able to, to get my family down this river by the end of the day, or are we all going to die, right? I mean, honestly, that's what I'm thinking. And it had nothing to do with a guy or girl. I would have said the same thing to the guy. Does this guy know what he's doing? Because she looked pretty young, and I'm like, does she really know the waters? And, you know, the whole time I'm there, and about midway through the day, I'm like, is this g- girl really going to guide my family down? Because I was scared. You know, because ultimately you want to have fun, but truthfully, you don't want to have anything happen. Last week, Jeff Barnett was talking about Jesus is the guide. And in verse 6, it tells us who he is. Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one can come to me, no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had already already known me, you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you will know who he is. You do know him and you have seen him, sorry. So here, Jesus is having this conversation. Don't be troubled. Listen, he's communicating to disciples and believers. He says, don't be troubled. I've got a place for you. Everything's gonna be taken care of. I'm gonna leave soon, but promise you, I'm gonna come back. And he says, if you're looking for a guide to get you to the Father so that you know exactly who God the Father is, let me guide you because I'm the way to the Father. I am the outpouring of the Father's heart on this word. And so he's having this conversation, and then someone, this guy named Philip, comes into that annoying conversation. Here's what it says. Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. So Jesus is telling them, this is how you connect to the Father. This is the Father. This is who he is. This is what you need. This is how you grow. This is how you will know who the Father is. And instantly, this guy named Philip asks this question, like, okay, God, well, or Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Really? I don't know if we would. What, what does satisfied mean? The question that we have is what does satisfied mean? I want to take a minute. I want to start with a question. And I want to ask you this question. What would it take for you to be satisfied with God? And, and, and before you guys get into the question, I'm going to talk a little bit about it to get your mind thinking. If you had an opportunity to just to bring your stuff before God today and there were three or four things or 10 or 12 things that would give you complete satisfaction, what would that be? So, I want you to really think about it and what I want you to do is share with that one or two things with the people at your table and if you don't know, ask God. Pray, Lord, Give me a few things that I'm discomforted with that might bring satisfaction. So go ahead and spend some time answering that question. What would it take for you to be satisfied with God? Okay, let's, uh, let's come back to, uh, to order here. So we're traveling with this girl, and she's got all of my, my, all of my girls And we're in this raft. And the truth is, about halfway down, she gets hit by a rock, cuts her leg open. It looks a little sketchy, right? And she's bleeding in the boat. And, you know, it was a really funky situation. But we found out that, A, she was a tough girl because her leg was bleeding pretty bad. And, B, that she knew what she was doing. She understood water because we were hitting the rapids correctly. Here's the thing. To be really guided, you must trust that guide right? If you've ever done like zip lining and you've got a guide, you got to trust that person that they know what they're doing and you're putting their life in their hands. It's the same with Christ. It says Jesus, if you look at John chapter 14, that first subtitle says Jesus is the way to the Father. How do we know God? How do we know God, this invisible mass being of the universe? And we've been talking about it all through December, heaven on earth. But how do we really know who God is and how do we really know the outpouring of God, the Father's heart, we're singing songs and going, yes, Lord, we wanna be enthroned about you, we wanna know you, we, we wanna celebrate you, the king of my heart, but how do you really know? Well, Jesus says, it's through me. And And the beautiful thing about that is that we don't have to just sit and talk about it, we actually have words written about his life and called the gospels, And we get to look at that, and we get to study it, and then we get to see not only the Gospels, but the history of the church and the writings of the church after Jesus ascended. So the only way the Bible tells us to understand and know God is to know who Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but when we talk about knowing God or knowing someone, there has to be some sort of ebb and flow, a relationship. Most Christians today talk too much in their prayer. Can I get an amen? Amen. We pray and we're like, dear Lord Jesus, I love you and I need you to help me with this, that, and the other thing. And and, and all God's doing is, would you shut up for a few moments? And I was talking to a friend today. We went walking for a couple miles and we were talking about that. And he says, I was talking so much in my prayer that God just kind of said, if you would be quiet, I could answer anything, anything. And what happens is, We're not comfortable with silence. And because of that, we start to talk. Have you ever been in a room with somebody that just, you know, you've been silent for three seconds and they're just like, oh, I got to say something. Veronica, why are you hiding? (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's a little bit you, but you're getting better. What happens is we're afraid of silence, and because of that, then we lack in our relationship with God. Really to know God. What is know God? Do you know God? And the question is, as, as you're thinking about do I know God, is is Jesus enough? Is Jesus Christ enough for each and every Christian? We're all going to say, oh, are you kidding me? Dear Lord, yes, until we have doubt until we lack in our relationship with God, until we really realize who God is. As me and my wife were sitting down with our daughter the other night talking about what it looks like to know God and to follow God and to love Jesus and and to be about Jesus, we're really talking about who he is. But we said, honey, the only way you're going to know him is by you partaking in him. We can't give it to you. At 14, you're going to have to make a decision now or in four years, or in 10 years, or in 50 years, if you really want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that it's through Jesus Christ, he is the way, he is our guider to satisfaction, to knowing God. What does to know mean? What is no? We when we use this word no, and this is kind of a, a wordsmith thing. If you just look in John, the book of John, which is a twenty-one chapter Bible, our book in the Bible, it says no and k n o w one hundred forty-one times in the book of John, just in the book of John, and in that, of course, they all don't have the same meaning. But it's really trying to challenge you because the book of John is written for Christians to really understand that Jesus was there in the beginning of time, that he is God. He was there when, when God created. And that he was going to leave, and he was going to leave this another portion of God through the Holy Spirit to engage us after Christ ascended. So what does this word know mean? There's really four levels or four meanings of know when we read the book of John. The first one at its basic level, it says this. I think we have it up there. The first one is, it's it's the basic level of simply knowing a fact. I know that the sun comes up, that's a fact, right? And so that's just a very basic comment and that's one of the main ones that we see in the book of John. The second one is, next would be that you know the truth behind the fact. You understand that there's the truth and you've maybe been to an astrology class or a geography class and you understand some truth about gravity and how we rotate and so you know some truth. But here's the thing. Truth and fact still can have a Christian lost in sin and lost in their own life. It's not about knowledge. It's not about just knowing a truth about God and and knowing a fact about God to not still be lost. A lot of times we get into groups and small groups and we're afraid to share and just say, I'm a little bit confused about what's going on here tonight or in my life with God. And you need someone to kind of be that guide to get you into that next place. And trust me, there's a, a ton of people in this church that would love to walk with you if you needed them. It's not necessarily me. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm just kidding. But there are a lot of people that would love to walk with you and, and walk in that deeper way. Here's number three, and this is the one that we're talking about today. It's to know, and this is an introduction, introduction to a relationship. Believe in a person and become related or in a relationship. And we're not talking about boyfriend-girlfriend. We're just talking about being in a friendship or relationship. Um, in this particular to know, we see in Genesis in the Hebrew is, is a really one about a man and woman getting to know each other for the first time and building that relationship. It's really the introductory part. And we see this in John chapter 17, something that we'll read in a month or so. And it says this, 17 three, and it says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ The one you sent to earth. This is how we know. And this is an introductory statement. In John, we're trying to figure out, is Jesus who he said he is or is he a lunatic? Is he the Messiah or is he just a lunatic? And we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. The question is to know him is an introductory. And the last one is this, know And this means in a deep relationship and a deep communion. Listen to what Paul writes in the same context in the Greek word. This is what Paul writes about knowing somebody in a deeper relationship and a deep communion. I want to know Christ. That know word listen to how deep it is. I want to know Christ and the experience, the mighty power that raised him from the dead and I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. When you're in that type of relationship, that's deep. I don't You know, I don't don't want to share in your death right now. I don't know if I want to share in your death. But when you're in that deep relationship, you're like, I'll go wherever you go, Lord. You take me wherever you want in this world. You want me to go into the ghetto. You want me to go into Beverly Hills. You want me to go to Honduras. You want me to go to Nepal. I'm going to go. You take me. When you're in that deeper level, this no is a deep level and a deep commitment. It's this communion and this relationship at a deeper level. So to sum it up, when we're talking about knowing God here, there's four levels. There's one truth. There's one fact. But the one that we're talking about is to know. It's like, do you really want to know God the Father? The way that you do that is you you introduce Jesus into your life. And if you've done that, You get deeper in that no part where you dig in and you start pressing into your relationship with God and you say, Lord, Spirit, take me to a place that I've never gone before so that I can be closer to you. We will really see this definition played out, and I'm not going to do it because it's for next week's message. But the way that they explain this in, in, in theology explains it very well in verse 19 to 23. So if you want to read up a little bit about this no part of God, you read next week's sermon, and it'll really help you out. And really, the Bible explains itself out if you're open to it and you let it become part of who you are. Here's what verse 9 says. It says, Jesus replied, I have been with you all this time, Philip, yet you still don't know who I am. Philip has been, been told that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. If you know me, you know the Father, plain and simple. And after he makes that statement, Jesus does, Philip's like, I don't really know you. Just show me the Father and I will be satisfied. Do you think, uh, we don't really see, maybe we do see this. Do you think there's any jealousy with the apostles or disciples in their life? I think a couple times you see there's a moment where a mother comes, the the John and James, and they're like, how can my sons be next to you? Do you think there was some bickering? And I, I feel like the lady comes up and goes, hey, I'm giving you some money to the ministry. How can my sons be close to you, Right? I just gave an offering, by the way, remember, to move the mission. How do my sons become at the right hand? How about this? Do you remember when there was a transfiguration and there was only three chosen to go up? And in that mountain transfiguration, they had this encounter, this heaven-on-earth type of encounter and, and, and as they came down, Peter says, hey, we should make a, a, a monument here or an altar and worship God. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody until after I die about what you've seen. Now, think about that. The other 12 don't get, or the other nine don't get to see Jesus or don't get to have that encounter. Maybe that's where Philip is right now. He's like, they got to see God and they're sold out for Jesus. We didn't. But later down the road, Jesus says, it's really not about seeing Seeing is believing in your heart and trusting. And he gives us this prayer in John chapter uh, 17, 24, where he talks about later down the road, those that don't even see me that believe will actually have a, a better blessing. So here we see Jesus reply, how long is it gonna take that you will know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show you him? Jesus is a little frustrated and I feel like sometimes he would come to our church or churches in America or anywhere in the world and be frustrated by the way that we uh, engage God because ultimately I think we're lazy in our approach to God. I think we are very nonchalant. I think when I met this lady, Shirley, who has been to Journey a handful of times and she's on her deathbed, everybody was wondering, does she know God in that room and was praying and was asking her, you're going to be okay. And at that moment, that's the most important thing in her life. And we forget about that until we have that moment in our life where we get sick or we have a heart attack or anxiety or we're in the hospital and then our reality starts to hit. Do we really know who God is? Verse 10 says, don't you believe that I am, the, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words, that are my, uh, the words I speak are not my own, but the Father's who lives in me, through his, through his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least because of the works that you have seen in me. In this particular verse, you see the word believe twice. Chapter 10, or verse 10, it's a singular believe. If you look at the Greek, he's just asking uh, Philip, do you really believe me? And I think if Jesus was here speaking today, Even if we were seeing him, some of us would doubt that on Saturday or Friday or Sunday. Even if you encountered Christ right here on stage preaching. And that was happening even when people were hearing message. That was happening with apostles that were with him for three years. And now they're at the final days of Jesus' life and they're still questioning, are you really the one? Just show me who you. Just show me God the Father, and I will be satisfied. Would you really be satisfied? I don't know about you, but if I had had an encounter with God at a church service once, or in 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 a Mexico field, or in Oxnard, or in Camarillo, or in Honduras, and I met Him there, and I felt like I have a couple times, I would want to be at that same spot for the rest of my life because I'm an I'm an addict, right? I'm addicted to that stuff. We see that in Gideon. Doesn't Gideon kind of go, oh, God, just show me. I'm going to put this fleece out, right? And if you do something, you're really good. I'm going to show this fleece. And if you make it wet, oh, praise God, and I'll be happy. Then the next day he's like, well, that was cool, but I don't want to be rude, but can you do it again, but can you make it the opposite? Because that's how we are as Christians. You can encounter God. You can see a miracle. You can see him transform your life, but a few days later, the enemy numbs that and makes you doubt, and we struggle with knowing who God is. Jesus talks about His words versus works, and I was going to have you do this in the table, but I'm going to save it. Think about all the words that Jesus said, all the words that He said, and this is the, this is this this is the, the defining moment in His relationship. Is he a lunatic? You think about all the words that he said and we just start writing them down. I'm the savior. I'm, I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. All these things. And you write them down on one side and then you go to the other side and you match them up with his works. Right? And if he's a lunatic, what he said and what he does aren't gonna match. If he's the savior, they're gonna match one for one. As Christians that understand and know God, Our words need to match our works, and when they do, we have a better relationship with Jesus Christ. I had a, uh, about 12 years ago, one of my best friends, he's my mentor at the time and still is, was challenging me, and I was struggling in my relationship with things in life, and I was just getting into ministry, and... He challenged me. He says, he didn't know the Bible. He comes to church now. He's a believer and he's been saved and been baptized. It's been a pretty amazing journey with him specifically. He didn't know God really at the time. But he says, doesn't the Bible say, let your yeses be yeses and your noes be no? And I said, yeah. And he says, that's how your word and your works work together. And this guy's not really reading the Bible. He just is trying to get me into a better life. And our words have to match our works And a lot of times we say yes and amen to believing in Jesus and trusting him. We see songs and we get excited and we leave a service like tonight or Sunday or at another church and instantly our works don't match our words. And Christ is pointing that out tonight that the way that you know that I am the father is by the works What did God do in the Old Testament? You look back through the Old Testament and there's one Bible study that you can do, and they do this in seminary, where you look back through the Old Testament and look through Jesus in every part in every book of the Old Testament. Who is Christ? Where is Christ in this? And you can see it, Genesis 315, Genesis 17, Genesis 18. Genesis 36, you can see the works of Christ through the whole book and you see it in the Psalms, you see it in the prophets and you start looking for Jesus and the question is, if you know him, you will say yes and amen to that when it works in your life and you'll have that deeper relationship. Hopefully that makes sense to you. How long would it take for you to be satisfied or how long do you think it would take to really know God? Anybody? Shout out a number. Whole life, I heard. A lot of mumbling. How long? Huh? Could be instantly. Could be instantly. Right? Anybody else? I love that. All of, eternity. All of eternity. It's good. It's kind of long, but it's good. <laughs> you know, I used to teach golf. And... Uh, um. I taught this one person for a, for a pretty long time, and they were terrible. They're not in this room. Jim, are you here? <laughs> Fortunately, he's not here. No, it wasn't Jim. But I taught this person for at least a long time, it was like three years, and they honestly never got better. Every time I gave them a lesson, it was like starting at day one. And I'm like, do you even ever practice? Right? And then I had a friend of mine... Um, That started and within a year was shooting in the the low 80s and 90s, which is pretty good. I mean, that's top five or 10%. And it was because he was putting in, he worked at a golf course and was putting in 20 hours a week, right? And they, they say in golf, if you practice, if you play once a week, you're gonna stay the same. If you put a few extra hours in a week, you start getting better. And it's the same with your faith. It's the same with God. If you practice God outside of Sunday and Wednesday, you're gonna know Him better. If you just come in and you're like, you gotta feed me, Jeff, in 27 minutes, or Jeremy or Dustin or whoever's teaching, Kim, you're you're on, you're on life alert. You need to push the button and help. I'm lost, I can't get up. Because you're struggling, honestly. If this is the only time you break break bread, is now you're struggling. Fortunately, we do it twice a week, so you're probably not completely dead, but the pulse is, its pulse is very minimal. The apostles were with Jesus for three years, and they really didn't know much. You know when they learned when he left and the spirit took over? When you think about how we learn is when we leave ourselves and we walk away from our lives and we let the spirit take over. Peter is up in the room and he has no idea and he starts to pray. And instantly when the spirit comes, then God starts to move and great things happen. How long would it take us? Three years, 10 years? Do you need to go to seminary? No, no, and no. If you're really hungry for it, and I've seen it, there's a couple of people I've seen in church that are in this, in this building right now that have taken a hold of God in the last six months or year and their life is being transformed. I have this young kid in my life right now, an 18-year-old man, accepted Jesus in May and he's reading the Bible every day and he's gone from, uh, from a zero in faith to someone who's reading every day and and Bible study and in developing. It's amazing. Really, this is a Holy Spirit thing. God created, Jesus saved, and the Holy Spirit connects us to both the creator and the savior. And together we get to experience the will of God. And when we trust in that process, three in one, working together, we trust in who God is. He connects us to the Father's heart, connects us to Christ, the walking essence of God. And our heart is filled and we truly trust him. You know, we did this series, Heaven on Earth, all through December. And a lot of times I was I was talking about this lady Shirley that passed away and she went to heaven on Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. We don't have to go to heaven to know God. A lot of times we think, well, once we get there, I'm gonna know God, and I'm gonna see his face, and he's gonna be glowing, and his eyes are gonna be fiery, and he's gonna have this. But the truth is, the Bible tells us that we can know him here. We don't have to get to heaven. And the truth is, the better that I practice my relationship with God the Father here, the better I'm going to know him up there, and the better I'm going to worship him, and the more practice and the more prepared I will be to worship him. And that's what we're trying to talk about today. Do we know him, and can we utilize the spiritual resources that he's left back so that we can get through the day, through the week, through the month, or through this year? Did anybody have, in 2018, a bad year? Verse 2, 3, 4. It's hard. 2019 is something new. And the the beauty of it is God wants to encounter your life so that it can be fresh and that he can walk through it. Let me kind of get through some of this. What does it mean to know the Father? It means that we shouldn't be troubled. At the beginning of this chapter, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust that I'm going to guide you right to the Father's heart. Let me guide you in with these spiritual flashlights so that you can land right into the Father's arms so that you can be connected. We need to know him through Jesus Christ and we must worship him. Here's what 12 says, and I'll close it with this. I tell you the truth, and it says in the original text, verily, rarely, I say, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. And you can ask for anything in my name and do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything in my name and it will be done. This is an interesting text because I think we misread it. All I got to say is I want a Ferrari in the name of Jesus. I'm turning in the Saturn and I should have a Ferrari by the time that I get in. In his name, it's done the truth is I'm going to go and my seat's still going to be broken when I get in there and uh, good chance the Saturn's still going to be there and it's going to be half a tank and the gas gauge isn't going to work but I said in Jesus' name and I think we sometimes get confused and we get some bad teaching about naming and claiming and I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is telling us here but he is saying that greater things will occur in Acts chapter 2 that same Peter receives the Holy Spirit Jesus has ascended, they're been up praying because they don't know what else to do and they're, they're crying out to God and in, in that moment when the spirit comes down at nine in the morning, he gives this bold message and it says 3,000 accepted the Lord. It doesn't really say that what Jesus has said, many became saved and, and followed him, but that day, Acts chapter two, 3,000, Acts chapter four, thousands, Acts chapter five, thousands, By just people like me and you, filled with the Spirit, trusting in a God, no longer waiting for someone to push, but letting the Holy Spirit lead. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and He wants to lead us, and it is through prayer. The best thing for a troubled heart, if you're not right today and you're troubled and you're discontent and you're struggling, is prayer. And here's what Jesus says do not be troubled. In chapter 14 or verse 14, he's saying, pray and ask in my name, and that will start to appease your troubled heart. Here's three conditions of a troubled heart or three conditions of prayers and three conditions that if we meet are a blessing in our life. First of all, realize this. It's a privilege to pray. Right? If you've ever gone and, 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 and saw someone, you know, you gone and saw a, a movie star or you gone and saw a play or you saw a band and you ever get behind stage, it's a privilege to communicate or be in the backstage pass. It's a privilege to pray. It's like having a backstage pass with God every day. And I don't think we take it as a privilege. I think we sometimes take it as a burden. It should be a privilege to pray. And here's what Jesus says. The first condition would be we must pray in faith. We must pray in loving faith. I'm going to pray, God, that this is about you and not about me. I'm going to pray that the Ferrari will be used great in ministry. The truth is it has to be faithful and it has to align with what he wants. And a lot of times it has to be answered in the way that he wants. A lot of times we we have our prayers in selfish ways. The first thing, the first condition is that we must pray in faith. The second thing that we see in these last couple of verses, it says we must pray in Christ's name. Now, a lot of times we think in Jesus' name I get it answered, but really it is this. If I send my sister to Nepal to the missionaries, Cameron and Lisa and Ryder, and I said, hey, this is from our family or this is from the church or something, she's coming in the name of the church and she's actually presenting. When you're presenting your prayer to God, you're supposed to be presenting it as Christ would present to his father. In Christ's name is saying, I'm doing this because I know this is going to benefit you, God. It's not going to benefit me. I'm going to be a representative of you, Christ, so that I can communicate to the Father's will. In Christ's name is really a communication saying, I'm representing you in this encounter of prayer. And the last one is that we must pray. And this comes out of verse 15. This is next week. But we must pray in loving obedience. Obedience to God and not obedience to what your wants and needs are. And when we do this, he says, I want to bless you with the things that are a blessing to him. A lot of times he says no because they're not a blessing to him. A lot of times he says wait and occasionally we get this yes prayer. Here's what you have a friend in Jesus says. I don't know if you've ever seen these lyrics. I know we sing them, but here's what it says. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So that's the really cool part. But look at the bottom part. It says, oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. What I want to do as we close today is I want you to befriend somebody at the table and pray for them. Pray for them to be satisfied with, and content with God. Pray for them to have a rich relationship with God. Pray for them that they will know God in a deeper way or just pray for something that they have. But I wanna spend the last few minutes praying for people and then I'll close, uh, we'll close out of here. But here's the thing, is if we don't bring everything before God, we're missing out on what God has for us. So spend a few moments and then we'll, we'll close out in prayer. Lord, we just come before you today and as people continue to pray, we close this service. We ask that we continue to pray to you, Lord. We pray in your name and we ask for you to reveal yourself so that we will know you. Know you not in an introductory level, but a very deep and robust relationship with you. Lord, I ask that these tables continue to remain in prayer so that our hearts, minds, and souls will magnify everything that you are. We love you, King Jesus. Amen.